In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Counter. Chris Corman here for the win, joined by Stephen Ruiz, also for the win. We're, uh, we're the NFL team. We're adding, we're adding Charles McDonald next week. Our, our, our family's growing. I, I can't Love wait. It. It's going it. to be so exciting. Uh, we are here now to look ahead to week 13. I am totally bewildered because there was a football game on in the middle of the afternoon yesterday. And uh, so I don't, I mean, I think it's Thursday. I'm pretty sure it's Thursday. Uh, the Steelers and Ravens ended up playing on Wednesday afternoon, it was like a little action for Ben Rothsberger. I bet he felt at home. Um, <laughs> uh, Steelers. What, what was the final of that game? Nineteen fourteen. It was just. A, so. so it was. It was a putrid football game. It was like poor RG three doing everything he could with no supporting cast uh, to try to make the game somewhat reasonable. Trace McSorley got some run. That's how, that's how you know it's a good football game, right, Stephen? Yeah, sure. That's. I thought you would be excited about the game because McSorley got in as a Penn State grad. Uh, no? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. You weren't watching. So you're telling me you weren't watching Raiders games back when Matt McGloin was playing? Matt McGloin is a different animal, all right? <laughs> Matt McGloin was a legit, a legit QB. Trace McSorley, he just rode the Saquon coattails, all right? I do think that game like shows why I don't believe in the Steelers. Like they won the game. Sure. Right. But right. like, if I mean, watch- Mike, Mike Tomlin stopped believing in the Steelers. <laughs> he was literally like, what are you guys doing? And just Ben Roethlisberger, or that offense is just, it, it's not going to be able to keep up with Patrick Mahomes. That defense has to play out of its mind. And now it's, they've lost right. Bud Dupree for the season, which I really think takes a lot of wind out of their sails. I don't know how they come back from that. I don't know how, the, if the defense right. is going to be able to sustain what it's been doing it and it has to sustain what it's been doing to compete with the chiefs. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge, I think, overlooked loss. I mean, partly because it happened on a Wednesday afternoon and everyone's trying to figure out the rhythm of the season. But uh, Bud Dupree's a, a big, big loss for them uh, just because of what they like to do and, and how much pressure they try to create and, and his versatility. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, right. I mean, I was the Steelers stayed undefeated, but. It, it was about as bad as it could be without actually being a loss, uh, considering how depleted the Ravens were. I mean, the Ravens had just, I mean, not just no talent in the ro- on the roster, but uh, they'd had like two walkthroughs maybe in the last 10 days. So like this was a team that wasn't even practicing. Like they weren't even working toward playing football. And they went out and somehow gave the Steelers a game. Uh, but that's where we are. 2020, man. It's uh, it's a weird year. Uh, yeah, a good show today. We are going to uh, discuss our favorite topic by far, which is quarterbacks. Uh, we're, and we're going to look at one who is ascending, who's really taken huge steps this year, and one who Stephen looked at and has decided uh, he's always sort of been the same guy, but everyone this year is freaking out about his play. Uh, so we're going to dig in on those. We'll look at the games of the week coming up. It's another little bit of it's a little bit of a soft week. Not not a week I'm super excited about. Uh, Rams Cardinals is a good one. Browns Titans. Uh, so we'll dig in on that. There's some weirdness with the schedule too. The Ravens. Cowboys game, which was supposed to be later tonight, is now being played Tuesday. The Steelers game. Uh, got moved to Monday at five o'clock, the Steelers against the football team. So 
there's a lot of football sort of spreading. The NFL is it's just sort of morphing to take up all the nights on your calendar. It's spreading like this virus. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to say I, that seems likely that this is going to be that way because the, the numbers across the country remain absolutely horrifying. Uh, so we'll just be ready for that. And take it as it comes. Um, but let's let's get in. Oh, and we also have our fantasy segment. We're going to bring Charles Curtis in. I know you guys love to uh, to check in with Charles up in New York City and get his fantasy takes. So he will stop by too. Uh, and there's there's some uh, there's some nice Taysom Hill slander in that in that segment. So I I know a lot of you that's what you come for. So you'll have to wait till we get there, but. Uh, it's it's delivered. Rest assured. Uh, Taysom Hill is not one of the QBs we are doing a deep dive on this week. Uh, those would be Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz. Uh, I want to start with the Deshaun Watson. So Stephen has done posts on both of these guys. We published them today. Uh, the Deshaun Watson post is built around. We've been raving about Deshaun Watson all year. We've been jamming this guy into the show, which is very hard to do because the Texans are horrible. Uh, and but Watson is elevating them so much. I mean, I think I have mentioned that I I'm pretty sure he's almost as good as Patrick Mahomes. Like it's so mm-hmm. it's so impossible to tell right now because of the differences in the supporting cast and the coaching situations. You know, Andy Reid is one of the smartest offensive minds in the history of the NFL and Deshaun Watson does not have that going on. He he was under Bill O'Brien's thumb for the first part of the season. And now uh, we're going to talk about how that has changed. Um, But we've been raving about Watson and, and trying to find a way to really figure out what about his game has changed, how he's grown, how he's evolved this year. So Steven got a hold of Watson's longtime personal QB coach, Quincy Avery, and they had a really fascinating discussion. And it's just it's an amazing story. Uh, I, I really love like uh, being able to see how this all came together, starting from Watson in college and what the stereotypes were of him. And now he is breaking those stereotypes. That's sort of what's happening. And so I love this story, but I'm mad at you guys because the Carson Wentz story went up like several hours after the Watson story. And immediately it got like huge numbers of shares and uh, lots of people were reading it. Whereas this like heartwarming tale about Watson, nobody's reading it. And so when you guys, the next time you're like, why is the media focused on the negative? It's because you guys focus on the negative. (laughs) You're just negative people who just want to understand why, why things are broken. Okay. Like that's, that's why the audience it's yeah, not us. It's you. Uh, that's why. That's why we end up trying to trying to diagnose what's wrong with Carson Wentz. And in fact, nothing's wrong with him. He's just sort of a dude. He's just a guy. He's just. This is who he is. It's who he's always been. Stephen went through the numbers, created a compelling case. Uh, but we'll get to that second. Let's dig in on Watson. Uh, like I said, you spoke with. Uh, Quincy Avery, just to sort of get his take on it. Avery's he's active on Twitter. He's a, a super interesting follow a uh, guy who is not afraid to. <laughs> That's the best talk. part about him. Yeah. I mean, he's not afraid to talk about things in a real way uh, from a guy who is close to a lot of quarterbacks and understands the game and knows some of the factors that are going on, especially with black quarterbacks. Um, and so your line of questioning with him was basically uh, – like what has what has he seen from Watson this year? Right. Is that sort of how you approached your interview with him? Yeah, I had my own ideas and that's how I, you know, formulated the questions. But basically, he said everything that I was seeing on film and the big thing. And it, I think Tony Romo was saying a lot of this during the Thanksgiving broadcast. When I was watching that game, I I already knew I was going to write this post. Right. And I was like, "Damn it, Romo's stealing all my stuff!" <laughs> but no one was pay- no one was paying attention to that game, so yeah. it's whatever. Trip, trip to fan man, everyone was <laughs> sleepy. Uh, but the and it, the big difference has been he has become this idealized version of a quarterback that we always think of, like when we think of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, this guy that can read the field in an instant and knows where to go with the ball and goes through his progressions from the pocket. And he's doing all of those things. He's not really getting credit for it. And I wanted to get Quincy Avery's opinion on one, 
can he confirm my uh, suspicions? Is this what is happening? Is this why he's so so much better than he was even a year ago? And then two, why does he think that Watson doesn't get this credit? Right. Uh, yeah, and I want to I want to establish uh, just how good Watson has been, uh, just just so we're clear, because people may be ignoring the guy, uh, and that's totally understandable. But since week five, this is some reading from Steven's article. Watson is Pro Football's focused highest graded quarterback at ninety two point seven. He leads all quarterbacks in success rate, and trails only Patrick Mahomes Mahomes in uh, EPA per play. He's averaging nine yards per attempt, which leads the league. He's thrown 19 touchdown passes. Only Mahomes has thrown more and two interceptions. And only Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees have thrown fewer. Brees missed a couple games. Uh, Those numbers on that team with a horrific defense that is not getting him in good position is is not giving him time on the side. Like that is these those numbers are astounding. So I like let's let's establish that first that Deshaun Watson is clearly one of the best football players in the NFL. Um, And then the really interesting thing was Avery's explanation for what changed when O'Brien left. Uh, And the the quote that stood out to me is, I think when your head coach is a play caller, there's a tentativeness to your play call selection. That made it difficult for him to call the game in a way that he necessarily wanted to. But now he's able, and the he here is Watson, but now he's able to call it as he sees it. And there's not too many chefs in the kitchen. So basically, O'Brien thought he was the genius and he was holding Watson back. That's what I take from that quote. Yeah, Avery, I asked him, like, what is what does that mean? Like, what has that led to? And he said they're going empty more. I think they're letting Watson throw downfield more and letting him, like, read defenses from the pocket rather than trying to manufacture shot plays. They're really putting more on Watson mentally. And he's answered the call, which is not a surprise to anyone who's watched him play over the last two years. I really think he's taken that mental leap over the last two years. And we've seen it most when he goes into empty formations. And that's something that Avery actually pointed out. And when you look at the EPA numbers, he's been the best quarterback in empty over the last two years. Last year, uh, Lamar Jackson was better by success rate and EPA by a couple of percentage points. But, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that Lamar Jackson would take off if there wasn't anything open downfield. But now Watson has just separated himself from the the rest of the field. We know we talked about on this podcast how Lamar has kind of regressed in that category. Right. Right. Deshaun Watson has not. He's only gotten better at it. And the gap between him and everyone else is large. And I think empty really drills down to what quarterback play is like you. There's no threat of the run that the defense has to worry about. They know you're running the ball. They could blitz you because you only have five players in protection. So you have to get rid of the ball quickly. And Watson is just great at it because he has this ability to react so quickly and to see things on the field and just sense where the space is and to exploit it. And I think that's really shows when you watch him on film, but he doesn't, he still doesn't get credit for that. And I think there are a couple of reasons why, and Quincy Avery had two theories on why that was. Right. I know what one theory probably is. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, let's, let's play this quote from uh, Quincy Avery about, uh, one of the one of the things he thinks is shading uh, how people view Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of racial bias, which like inherently um, a part of our country that um, that two things. There's a bit of racial bias, but it's also that they see him do these super athletic things, and they're like, well, he's just successful because he can do X, Y, and Z. Uh, but his ability to process information, see things. Um, and quickly recall them during a game as, as good as it gets. All right. Yeah, that uh, that sounds about right to me, Stephen. Uh, I don't what <laughs> what was your reaction to hearing that? This yeah. is something dating back years, right? I mean, we've talked about this. It's it's something that Watson dealt with when he came out of college. Yeah, and Watson kind of knew this was going to happen in college. He was being stereotyped as this dual threat quarterback, and he said at the time, he said people have assumed that I have to run the ball before I could throw it. Most all of my career, it's a stereotype put on me for a long time because I'm African-American and I'm a dual threat quarterback. I don't know why that stereotype is still around. I do. It's racism. 
Watson did say that I interjected. <laughs> it's about talent and the ability to throw the ball, not the color of your skin or your ability to also be danger- a dangerous runner. And I totally agree with that. And I've written these things before about another quarterback, and that's Cam Newton. When Cam Newton won MVP in 2015, he never got credit for the stuff that he was doing mentally and before the snap and going through his progressions in the pocket. When he was named the the number one player on the NFL top 100 list, which is voted on by players, the little package they put together focused on him dancing and celebrating after touchdowns and running the ball. There was nothing about him changing plays before the snap. There was nothing about him, you know, working the pocket. In fact, he was one of the least mobile quarterbacks in the league that year. And we're getting the same thing with Watson. Some of those splash plays are overshadowing the fact that he's become like a Tom Brady, like a Drew Brees in the pocket. Right. Yeah. I mean, we we always ding athletic quarterbacks. I mean, no matter what, if a quarterback can run, it's like, well, can he really throw? And meanwhile, uh, regular white quarterbacks who benefit from things schematically that we know make the game actually easier. Right. Like there are ways that coaches can make uh, playing football easier on a quarterback. And you actually went through and and took took those out you so you looked at epa per drop back and you looked at it just basically uh in non-play action so play action is the biggest hack we've talked about this on the show we've written about it for the win play action no matter what even if you don't have a good running game play action is a hack like you are going to have more success if you run play action uh there are certain things that you can't do but like in general and we have scads of data this is data from over years upon years upon years it's it's going to make it easier on your quarterback but so when we evaluate quarterbacks we tend to look at the non-play action plays because that is more demanding on them they have to make quicker decisions and their defense the defense they're looking at is not as in is not in conflict as much as they would be in a play action so you looked at the non-play action and watson is tops for, for expected points added per drop back right ahead. He's above Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but then you took out even more of these uh, sort of, I think you call them shortcuts. And uh, these in this second chart, what did you pull out? You pulled out screen passes, RPOs, and I think that's it. I, yeah. Other type of dropbacks that I took out. I just focused on straight dropbacks, three step drops, five step drops, seven step drops. Right. And now Watson is even farther ahead of Mahomes. Like he has a, a, a noticeable lead on Mahomes and uh, is the top of the league by far. So this is a guy who like every everything that you want out of it, like if you were if you were to take the dopiest old scout <laughs> and said, what do you want out of a quarterback? And he were to tell you like it would be Deshaun Watson. Like that's like that's where we are with Deshaun Watson. He also just happens to be able to run, uh, and that like somehow negates so much of this. But we are seeing, and like it's getting lost because he's on a bad team. But I mean, Deshaun Watson is really good. Uh, and you asked Avery about the actual play calling and digging in on what's actually happening and and how Watson like they've actually made it harder on him, right? Mm-hmm. That's They've made it like when O'Brien left, uh, they basically said, hey, we're going to give more to you. And he has thrived. Uh, And Avery uh, talked about what was happening that allowed Watson to do that. So we're going to play that clip and then we'll come back and discuss. Um, They're not creating a bunch of situations where people are just open and um, he's benefiting from the play color being so great that he's able to uh, quickly diagnose things. Like, you see him have to make a ton of reads. You see him have to create plays in the pocket. Like, he does everything that you could ask a quarterback to do, and you don't see those other guys, those system, those system guys, do anything outside of exactly what um, the offense is asking them to do. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, that's Avery basically confirming what we were just talking about. It, it, 
he does everything you ask a quarterback to do, and you don't see those other guys, those system guys, do anything outside of what the offense is asking them to do. When you watch film, how does this show up for you? Uh, I think that's maybe the one of the big disconnects with evaluating quarterbacks. Is like you can watch a guy like Derek Carr on certain weeks and say, oh, this guy's a good quarterback, or Kirk Cousins. Like, those guys have weeks where you're just like, yep, he's a good quarterback. And any any regular sports fan would be like, yeah, I mean, he completed 30 out of 35 passes and his team won by two touchdowns like that. How could that not be good? But you're watching process and you're seeing something different. Can you can you sort of walk me through what you're seeing there and what differentiates those guys? Yeah, I think I've talked about this before, about how for me, evaluating quarterbacks comes down to two things. So there's two categories. It's how well do they find guys to throw to? And that's decision making, going through your progressions, not panicking in the clean pocket and then can they get the ball to the guy and most quarterbacks are good at that second part most nfl quarterbacks are good at that second part that's why they're in the nfl they can make the throws right so if they're presented with open throws on their first read and they don't really have to do too much thinking and they make the throws like yeah those make for good highlights and we talked about this about baker mayfield like you look at any of the highlight reels after his wins and his quote-unquote good games and he's making the same throws we've always seen him make he's usually off play action in a wide open pocket and he's throwing downfield and he hits his receiver like sure it's good to make those throws but i want to see you do the mental work can you do that if the defense takes away your plan a can you go to plan b and when you watch quarterbacks that's what you want to see you want to see what happens when things don't go right and when you watch watson with the texans a lot of things don't go right <laughs> a lot of the time and it hasn't affected him. He's very calm in the pocket. And he just coolly goes on to his next read. And you can see in the stats that we've laid out that it hasn't affected his production at all. Yeah. Uh, and this is and, – and Watson understands this. Uh, like he was asked before the Thanksgiving game – how his how how he's changed as a quarterback, and uh, he gave this interesting quote. So we'll we'll play this real quick uh, and come back. Um, yeah, it was. Just, I mean, I just been you know really just been that that quarterback, that point guard, really just taking the game in and really learning how to master my craft as a quarterback and read defenses and and take what the defense is giving me. Uh, yeah, so I mean, he's talking about being more of a point guard, sort of running the offense, uh, and and. You go on to break down. We already talked about how good he's been in empty. You break down a little bit that that's like that's where you're really at your most point guardish, right? You have there's no extra blockers back with you, so you have all your options, and it's really up to a quarterback to figure out uh, which one is the best one and where to go with the ball and what the defense is doing. And Watson is as good, if not better, than anyone. Uh, anyone else doing it the question we've we actually got in this last week uh, who would be the best match for deshaun watson's new coast coach we all presume the texans will bring in a new head coach probably an offensive minded one that's the way the league is leaning and they have who should be a mega star qb uh did you and quincy sort of dig in on that at all did, did he add anything did did what he say to you change any of your thoughts i know we were talking about joe brady the Panthers offensive coordinator uh, that his quick game would be perfect for Watson. But how did this, how did this discussion shape your opinion? Yeah, I actually brought up Joe Brady's name specifically and he wasn't too excited about that pick, but not because of the schematic fit. He actually said, yeah, I think that's the type of scheme that we want him in. And he, he said he wants a coach that's going to put more of the mental burden on him. Like we're seeing after uh, Bill O'Brien's firing, but his his reservation with Avery or with Joe Brady was that he hasn't had a lot of experience as a high level coach. Like he was right. a low level assistant with the Saints like three years ago, and right. he was obviously like a co offensive coordinator type coach with LSU. This is really his first year just running an, an offense by himself. Right. So I get that reservation, but scheme wise, he does agree that that's the type of offense that he thinks would get the most out of Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and uh, you end the piece by talking about like the fact that Watson. Uh, you know, I hope Texans fans are excited because there there is the chance for this to turn around, and they do have the piece that every team would want. Like you, the, like Deshaun. Uh, like imagine Deshaun Watson elevating a team that actually has talent around it, uh, and that like I, I think you and Avery talked about this, right? Like 
Watson may not. Watson and DeAndre Hopkins were amazing together, right? And that's and that was a little bit of a caveat in some ways. It was like, well, Deshaun Watson's putting up numbers, but he has DeAndre Hopkins. He has one of the best wide receivers in the league. Uh, now Hopkins is gone. Watson's production is still sky high. He's thrown to a guy who was using PEDs apparently, but uh, <laughs> but um, you know that's neither here nor there. The ball still needs to get to the guy. Uh, Watson is doing it, uh, but. It sounds like what Avery told you that maybe he envisions like if if Hopkins were still there, him and Watson would be even better because Watson understands even more so now how to use a guy like Hopkins. Yeah, there was this narrative that Watson would be better now that he doesn't have a guy where he's just going to lock onto him and not go through his progressions. And like I scoffed at that notion and I brought it up to Avery expecting him to to be right there with me. But he actually agreed with it. He said, yeah, it might have you know, stunted his development in a, in a, in certain ways because he would lock on to Hopkins and maybe now he's more encouraged to go through his progressions. He's, he doesn't have that security blanket, but he also said it helped his development, but you never want to lose a guy like Hopkins. And if you, you throw Hopkins into the mix in year four, like he didn't have Hopkins for those first four years and learn to not rely on one guy, but then you throw in a guy like Hopkins now then it's really going to they're really going to take off. Unfortunately, we're not seeing that. We don't get to see that because Hopkins is in Arizona. Uh, Good trade, Bill. Good trade. Great work there. Uh, Let's swing it over to Philadelphia, where the the situation is not nearly as good. Uh, My my pals up in Philly. Uh, I think I think it's settling in. I think this fact that you wrote very bluntly today is like, Eagles fans, the mist from the Super Bowl win is clearing. Uh, I mean, I think it's gone, as a matter of fact. I think most Eagles fans would drive Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman to the airport if they could. Uh, But they're still, like, trying to figure out Carson Wentz is a bigger issue, right? And we've talked about it. Like, everyone has done this article that you did today. (laughs) Like, everyone has talked about what changed. Why isn't he the guy that he was in 2017 when he was going to be the MVP? And your answer... Uh, written, we, we put it right in the headline here. Carson Wentz hasn't gotten any worse. He's just always been mediocre, uh, which again, like that's a bold take, right? Like eh, most, uh, like even smart, dedicated NFL fans who watch 2017 unfold would say, no, he was actually good. Like his, and his team was good. The Eagles were really good that year. He was doing good things. He was making the right decisions. Uh, you know, he didn't throw the ball like he was he was a good quarterback. He just was. But again, you are looking you dug a little bit deeper, went under the surface, looked at the underlying process and isolated uh, basically looked at two things that he was really good at that are not sustainable and also just don't happen enough in a single season to give us the sample size that would be meaningful. Uh, but so you separated this out and and sort of figured out that. Carson Wentz is not only not having his worst season, but in some meaningful metrics, he is having a better year this year than he did in 2017. Right. And uh, I'm going to be honest, like I had this take back in 2017. This isn't a new discovery for me. I was writing this in 2017 when we were talking about Carson Wentz as an MVP candidate. I wrote about how his performance outside of the red zone was mediocre at best. He was one of the he was like. 18th in in red uh outside of the red zone but in the red zone he was like the best quarterback in the nfl right and And, that's just not not sustainable and it doesn't happen enough to really use a little bit of data to make too much of it right but back then i wasn't using epa and i wasn't using success rate but now we have those numbers and it becomes even more apparent why wentz was so good in 2017 and the big reason why is he was really good on third down. He was second in EPA overall for the season. But when you take out third and fourth down, he dropped all the way down to 23rd. So right. basically on those first two downs, which the sample size is larger because there's more first and second downs than there are third downs. He was a bottom 10 quarterback on third down. I don't know what you can attribute it to. Maybe it was just variance. Maybe it was Frank Reich being a, a genius. I believe he was in, in charge of the third down play calls back in 2017. But Wentz just went to another level. He was by far the best quarterback in the league on third down, and it wasn't even close. 
there was a wide gap between him and everyone else. It was it was like Babe Ruth versus like everyone else that was playing in 1915. <laughs> uh, doesn't this just mean that Carson Wentz is a, he's clutch? Like he, <laughs> he makes the big throws when he needs to. Isn't that what? I mean, right. That that's what people thought. That's what people would argue. They're like, oh, he's doing good in the situations where you want him to to do well in. But he wasn't doing well in those situations in 2016, and he hasn't done well in those situations since. 2017 in fact when you take out third downs his 2017 season looks a lot like all of the rest of his seasons in his career including this one this one is a little bit he's a little bit worse than he was but it looks like 2018 2019 and even 2016 the only difference was that big spike on third down and then you do the same for the red zone his success rate he was the best in the league at success rate which is it uses epa it success rate is the percentage of plays where you get a positive EPA result. And he had, uh, I think it was 61.5% in the red zone outside of the red zone. It was 48%. That was actually the worst of his career. He's, he was worse in 2017 than he is now in 2020 outside of the red zone in success rate. Right. The, yeah. And I mean, uh, and uh, for a total number, like you, you use the uh, adjusted completion percentage, uh, the PFS F, provides and it's you know so basically it's taking out things like receiver drops spikes uh throwaways passes where the quarterback gets hit so it's it's basically just the compute the the quarterback's uh completion percentage if catchable balls are caught and he's not disrupted in other ways yeah. so just aimed, throwing them aimed passes is how they, I right. think they say it uh and and in 2017 it was 69.6 this year it's 70.9 so like as a quarterback he's been better this year uh but the eagles talent is obviously so I mean, in every way, shape and form from offensive line to receiving has taken a huge dive in every way. And that's where those margins show up, right? Like he is not getting elevated in any way, shape or form by the guys around him. Uh, And that's the issue. Like, and it's not that Carson Wentz can't be a quote unquote good quarterback, uh, but he's just not going to be in that Watson level uh, anywhere close. And I think this exposes the limitations of us, and I'm including myself in this. These pe- the people that use stats and they use film to evaluate players. So when we're watching Wentz in 2017, we see that he's doing so. We're not drilling down into the numbers because there's no reason to figure out why he's not why he's not doing poorly. We just right. see the numbers, the overall numbers. Oh, he's second in EPA, and then we look at the film, and we're not looking for bad plays because again, we're we're writing about how he's so good, not what's wrong with him. So we we ignore the bad plays, and there were plenty of them in 2017. He was missing a lot of throws. His mechanics were still bad. He was getting away with bad decisions. But we see the highlight reels that he's still putting up. I mean, he still puts right. up highlight reel plays every week. But we were right. we were focusing on those and going, look at this guy. He's creating stuff out of structure. And look at the stats. And then you conclude, oh, the film, the stats, they all say he's great. And then now in 2020, it's the opposite because the stats are bad. So we watch the film. We don't look for those. We don't. We're not impressed by those out of structure plays anymore. We look for the bad plays. I really think he's the same player even on film, but we're just not looking for it, or we weren't looking for it back in 2017. Now we are. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it, right, and I think that's why this. You know, other people. Shield at the Athletic did a, a, an extensive deep dive, and you know we're not saying that none of that is germane. I mean, people who have dug in on Wentz are finding interesting things, and there are certain things in his game that have changed. But for the most part, like Carson Wentz, just sort of is who he is, and those players can be. I mean, Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl, and he looked brilliant. Like <laughs> this, these things happen. Like football, it's it's uh, a small sample size sport, and I think right. we we just latch on to these fluctuations too much. We look into them too much. The fuck like what he's doing in 2020, this isn't real Carson Wentz. I don't think he's this bad. It's the opposite end of the spectrum from 2017 where that was positive variance. This is negative variance. He's somewhere in between like 2018, 2019 Carson Wentz, who was a decent quarterback and above average, maybe good on some days, maybe below average right. on some days. That's I think is his true talent level. And right. I would be more skeptical of this take that I have 
if the issues plaguing him today weren't the same issues we saw all the way back at North Dakota or whenever he struggled, it's the same issues. It's footwork. It's maybe seeing things too late, locking onto your first read, not going through your progressions, trying to do too much. These are all issues you could have seen at North Dakota State. It's There's no difference. He's been the same player this whole time. Right. And, but, and it was so easy to get wowed by him at North Dakota State because he had the talent level of that team was so far and above the rest of that level. You know, they just had guys at every position that were better than the, the players on defense for the other teams like North Dakota. I mean, it's just they were just an elevated program. And so Wentz, he just always had that advantage. So it was hard to pull apart like you couldn't. You couldn't evaluate like right now we can evaluate Deshaun Watson in a unique way because he's surrounded by trash. <laughs> like we know we can we can look and say like, wow, he's really he's finding a way to be good. Whereas Wentz had the opposite situation coming out of college. He was surrounded by really good players. And so it was you have to have a really trained eye, which, of course, talent evaluators should have in the NFL. Uh, but you have to be able to pull it apart and say, how much is he doing and how much are his teammates doing for him? Uh, I, I mean, he probably would have been a high pick anyway, and it probably was smart for him to be a high pick because quarterback is, as we mentioned all the time, by far the most important position on the field. Uh, but you were skeptical when the Eagles mortgaged so much of the future to trade up to get him and... I don't know. I mean, it seems like maybe that's going to play out to be the right take. Uh, I don't know. You know, we've discussed the Eagles can't really get out of the deal until uh, 2022. So whatever happens in Philly next year is probably going to include Wentz. Uh, right. I mean, what's what's yeah. the future? How do you how do you deal with this if you're the Eagles? I mean, they don't really have much of a choice unless they just want to eat all that dead money next year. Right. Probably just ride it out for another year. And speaking of which, there's been some discourse about the the trade for Wentz. The Browns traded or the Eagles traded all those picks and the Browns wasted all those picks. Although I think they flipped (laughs) some of them for some good players like Denzel Ward was a result of that trade somehow. And some other guys, Odell Beckham, too. But I hate that kind of analysis on trades. That assumes that every team would have drafted those same players. And you have to look at the trade in a vacuum. You don't look at it, what did the Browns do with it? You just look at the trade in itself. And all those draft picks they got, I would rather have than uh, a broken quarterback. Right, exactly. Uh, All right, let's uh, check in with Charles, do our fantasy segment, and then we will come back and... Take a look at week 13 and what's ahead. The counter. All right, now we head up to New York City to bring our friend Charles Curtis in, our fantasy guru. How are your fantasy teams doing? We never ask that, right? Right. We should probably check to make sure you're actually good at this. Oh, no, don't ask that right now. Um, My teams. Oh, no. are all they're all fine like i don't have i have one team that's doing really well that i didn't expect to and then the other three that are i have five right so one i totally gave up on and sold off a bunch of players for draft money next year which is the right way to go um and then there are four that are possibly gonna make the playoffs we'll find out next week and the week after that so I, i would say i'm not excited about any of them which is a bad sign but uh, humble brag, I can't match what I did last season, which was three championship games and one win. So I will take wow. what I've got now right. well, and sit yeah. on my world. My faith, yeah. my faith is restored. Yeah, the Ravens were the best team in the NFL last year, and how's that doing serving them this year? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if but I the thing not. is, like with fantasy experts everywhere, we don't really know how they how their teams are doing. Like, does anyone fact check these guys or like check if they're actually good at fantasy? Well, here's the problem, though, because nobody wants to hear about anybody's fantasy team. That's why they don't share it. Like, nobody wants to hear That's how my true. teams are doing, you know, except you guys. I, I think I probably want to hear about, like, elite leagues, right? Like, these guys should be playing against each other, right? Like, yeah. that's how you would really tell who's good at fantasy. I mean, I, I have a theory that no one is actually good at fantasy football, but. I, I mean, no one's good at picking players in real football either. So, right. Uh, it's, you know. 
there's that. But Charles seems like a good a good resource, and he does. He's the best at it, in my opinion. Agree, agree. He's the best at many. He's the only one that matters. He's like Derrick Henry with running backs. He's the only one that matters. The only one that matters. I love it. I'm loving this. Uh, Charles does a uh, studs, duds, and sleepers post each week over at For the Win. You should read that in its entirety, but we focus in on one in each category. Steven grades them based on uh, a current or past coach. I don't know. Sometimes we just go completely off the board with it. But uh, that's the bit. We're going to go. Who's your stud? Uh, this is just to celebrate the return of Austin Eckler. There was question marks last week about whether he'd return to full strength if the Chargers would use him that much. He did, and he caught a bunch of passes. I think it was 11 on 13 targets or 16 targets, something absurd like that. And then he had 40-plus uh, yards rushing. And I think he's going to get peppered underneath against the Patriots, and uh, that makes him a stud this week. And I'm just – just anybody who held on to Austin Eckler, congratulations. I did in three leagues. In three of those four leagues where I'm in the playoff hunt, I have Eckler back, and I couldn't be more excited because he could end up in, in PPR leagues like with 20-something points and not even score touchdowns. So, Stephen, which coach do I get for that fairly obvious take? Uh, hmm. I'll give you a P. Carroll. Because you picked a running back, and we know how much Carroll loves the run game. <laughs> but no, I think it's a good pick because the the Patriots linebackers are just horrible, and you have to imagine he's going to be matched up with a linebacker too during this game. And really, I I would assume you pick up Eckler for what he does in the passing game. So I think it's a good pick. He's going to get matched up with like Jawan Bentley, who's slower than all three of us. Wow! Whoa! Old claim. I'm, I'm pretty slow though. Claim. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, guess what? Jawan Bentley is pretty slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's your dud, Charles? This is where I get to talk about Alvin Kamara. And ever since Ooh. the Taysom Hill start happened, Alvin Kamara has been borderline awful in fantasy. Um, Taysom Hill does not check down like Drew Brees does. And when they get in close, Taysom Hill obviously is the one carrying the football into the end zone. And Latavius Murray got like a ton of work last week. And it's really, really frustrating when you've had a guy who was on pace for like 110 receptions on the year. And now he's gotten what, like one or two in his past three games. So the, the Falcons are decent against the run. I don't think you bench Alvin Kamara, but, and I say this a lot in our studs, duds, and, and sleepers column. I think you have to expect that he's not going to produce that much. He has, he's probably going to produce more like a, an RB tour or a flex guy who, if he gets in the end zone, he's worth it. If not, you might be in trouble. Yeah, I like the take here. I'm going to give it to Sean Payton. And any chance to slander Taysom Hill, I'm going to take. And it's it's all Taysom Hill's fault. Fantasy haters, our fantasy players hate Taysom Hill as much as I do. I like that. That's where fantasy haters, Stephen Ruiz, handshake meme. Handshake. There it is. I keep saying there fantasy is. haters, fantasy players. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your sleeper, Charles? Well, before we get to my sleeper, by the way, Taysom Hill is a stud in my column this week, so take that. Uh, but, but we won't talk about him anymore because we know that nobody here likes to talk about Taysom Hill. So, okay, <laughs> onward we go. Um, let's talk about Brandon Cooks. I think the matchup against the Colts this week is a tough one for the Texans from a sort of offense versus defense point of view. But Will Fuller, suspended. Um I saw they uh, they uh, activated or they're, they're at least going to bump up Kiki Koti to be a, uh, a like a the, the replacement because they don't have any other receivers. Basically, I think um, Randall Cobb is injured. So I think Brandon Cooks gets a ton of looks, especially in a comeback effort. Uh, so I think this is sort of a matchup proof kind of place where we're at. That makes him a sleeper. So I think that, that it's a volume based play, not necessarily a good matchup play. Uh, I'm gonna s- switch up the the thing we do here. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna give it to Deshaun Watson instead Ooh. of a coach. What? It's a good pick, and I'm not. I'm not giving the credit to Romeo Cornell for everything that Deshaun Watson is doing for that team. I'm giving it to Deshaun Watson. Great pick. Me and Charles are on the same page with all these picks. Uh, Deshaun Watson's the best, the second best quarterback in the league right now, in my opinion, and he's going up against a defense that I think he won't have any problem. T- uh, picking apart because they play a lot of zone coverage, a lot of basic zone coverage. And Deshaun Watson is one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league. So I don't think he'll have a problem picking it apart like Patrick Mahomes never does. There we go. 
I can't believe we're like in it. complete agreement. This is this might be a first. Yeah, it makes for boring podcasting, though. It does. What are we, uh, what are should I about? should I insult Charles right now? <laughs> <laughs> How could I would like you to find a way to insult Charles? I think I know where this is going. You are an, he is a Knicks fan. <laughs> <laughs> that's not insult. You're just picking on people now. Uh, not- well, that's how. That's isn't that insulting someone picking on them? Uh, I mean, he's, that's that's like it's just a weakness. That's not. He's that's not right. He that's is not right. He's, he's a, not right. No, he's an adult, and he can pick and choose what team he roots for. He chooses to root for the Knicks. That's not how real people follow sports. That's how they should. Uh, to be fair, the Knicks had a really good offseason, but but I'll tell you what. No, they didn't. I don't even know what they did, but I know they didn't have a good offseason. <laughs> they had a good offseason. That's the exact reason they had a good offseason, because you don't know what they did, and that means they did nothing that was uh, to make a headline. So great offseason, Knicks. I will Somehow you, it's going to be bad, though. <laughs> I will give you something that you guys can can hang your hats on. Uh, I was 2-12 and 12 in our picks last week. I was hoping <laughs> that's where Steven was going. I went 2-12 and 12 against the spread. It it happens every damn season where I'm like, oh, I'm neck and neck with Steven through like week 10, week 11, week 12. And then it's just like, and that's happened. So, uh, yeah, that there's your this, I'm done to myself here. Yeah, this was your, this was your year to catch me because I'm like just hovering just above 500. Yep. But. Yep, but then I, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, no, not happening. What, what are you? Oh man, thanks, thanks for coming, Charles. Always appreciate you sharing the wisdom. We'll talk to you next time. I'm going to go watch some Knicks highlights. See ya. The counter. Yeah, always fun to check in with Charles. See what he thinks. Uh, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have a problem when we have two chart when we have Charles McDonald and Charles. We're gonna have to figure that out. That's I don't know what we're gonna do. Charles one, Charles two. Um, we'll come up with something. Uh, let's look ahead to the week. As we said, not not the most exciting week, but some decent games. I don't know. Uh, I you know the Rams Cardinals. The AFC West is a slog, man. It's 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 at least fun. Uh, the Cardinals are a two and a half point favorite. Uh, they are at home. Oh no, sorry, the Rams are a favorite. Uh, my bad. Uh, the Cardinals are at home though. Rams are sitting at seven and four. Cardinals are sitting at six and five. Um, yeah, I don't. What, what do you think about this one? Two two interesting offensive minds. Where's this game going to turn? This is this is an all twenty two game. This is a game you want to watch on film after the fact. Right. For a lot of reasons. One, the Cliff Kingsbury Brandon Staley matchup, which I find interesting. And I think that actually gives the Rams the edge because we've talked about Brandon Staley so much on this podcast and Cliff Kingsbury. But we've talked about how Staley has taken this modern, almost collegiate approach to playing defense. And I think that bodes well for them because the Cardinals I think that's the one type of defense they're going to have problems with. We, I think we talked about this when they played the Panthers, and I predicted that the Panthers right, would upset right. them in that game because of Phil Snow and his experience in the Big 12. I I think Staley is going to throw out some fronts that force them to run and into looks that look inviting for the run game but actually aren't. And this might be a game where we come out of it saying, well, wow, Cliff should have let Kyler throw the ball a lot more. And then it's also interesting because we get Jalen Ramsey and DeAndre Hopkins going up against each other again, which was an old AFC South matchup. That was always good. And I think, I think it's Ramsey has said that it's his favorite matchup for a receiver because of how physical Hopkins is. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. It should be really fun. Who do you think wins this one? Uh, I'll go with the Rams just because of what I've already said with Staley. And maybe this is a week where Jerry Croft doesn't, <laughs> doesn't just totally crap to bed. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to see how he responds to McVay calling him out a little bit and saying he needs to be better. Uh, you know, I've golf, like who knows what he's actually like as a person, you know, like it's, it's, essentially impossible to really know athletes these days uh they're so marketed and sort of coiffed uh by by the people around them but golf seems pretty low-key so i don't know if that's what's going to get him going but maybe it does i was about i I was about to do a surfer laugh but i decided not to do it you know how a surfer laughs i'm not gonna do it do it man 
You can't. You can't. I don't know because I've never done it, so I can't just like I, it's in my mind. I can do it, but I I don't want to do it, and then it's awful. Maybe I'll record it after, and we could just we could just leave well, some space for us. <laughs> we need to we need to get Hemel. Hemel is our uh, the for the wind surfing correspondent. So maybe we need we'll bring her on to do a surf laugh next. She's just just literally like Hemel, do the laugh, and then like that was Hemel. See you later. Um, we'll just have her on. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, Browns Titans. Another interesting game. And this one, Tennessee is a five and a half point favorite, which, you know, both teams are eight and three. But I I, I would like to go back and, v- and search in the take dump. If our search function worked a little bit better, I would probably search and find out how many times you've called the Browns frauds. Because I, I would guess that it's like, seven out of 12 weeks now uh, that you have you've declared them frauds but there are still people who believe and I I guess I don't know what are they going to learn this week what this are they going to see this is like the Spider-Man pointing gift game <laughs> of the week like these are the exact same teams the same whoever is able to run the ball and play action pass their way to a win is going to win the game what if they both do it it might just be a tremendous shootout it might be Rams Chiefs from Monday night a couple of years ago uh, I really have no idea who's going to win because, <laughs> I, I, like I said, they're the same team. It's a coin flip game for me. Uh, I'll probably go with the Titans just because I trust Ryan Tannehill more than Baker Mayfield. I trust him to not put the ball in harm's way. I know Baker Mayfield hasn't thrown an interception for the last month, but I don't know if, if he's thrown very many passes over the last month either. I think that's right. a bigger reason why he hasn't. I know he's only he's only thrown two touchdowns over the past month, which is a bigger reason why he's not throwing interceptions but i would take tennessee i i don't have trust in either of these teams i know tennessee's coming off a big win but they they were playing against a shorthanded colts defense which is a bigger reason why i think they won i still have concerns about that that defense in tennessee and what they do on third down but baker mayfield isn't the type of quarterback that's going to really threaten you on third down so maybe that's an advantage for them all right i have uh i have, I have a couple questions you you earlier said that Derrick Henry is the only running back that matters in the league. Uh, you're, you're a well-known hater of running backs. You don't you don't think they really matter. Uh, would you rather, if you could have Henry or uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, uh, which one would you which which would you pick? Are we including salaries? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Because uh, if we're not, then. Derrick Henry, like you watch, I watched the game against the Titans and the offensive line for the Titans was just dominating, which right, made right. Henry's job much easier. But when Henry has a head of steam, you just can't tackle him. Right. Like he's adding to a dominant offensive line. And I know, I know it's not moving the needle much in the grand scheme of things, but I really do think t- defenses adjust to having Henry and having to stop him, and it opens things up for Ryan Tannehill. He has the easiest job of any quarterback. I always say this, but you watch him play, and you're like, all right, that was a so-so quarterback performance. And then you look at the box score, and he has like 400 yards and four touchdowns. You're like, what? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, where does Henry rank on your current MVP ballot? Not that you have one, but if you did, uh, where would would he even be on there? Would he be? No, he, he's not on it. But there's only two people on it right now, and it's Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And I mean, I would put Watson on it, but I know that's not how the award works. Give him the Ernie Banks MVP award, and like not making the playoffs <laughs> and still winning it. But yeah, it's Mahomes for me. All right. There we go. Uh, let's kick through the rest of these games real quick. Saints, Falcons, uh, New Orleans, only a three point favorite here. I guess people are buying in on the Falcons resurgence. They 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 read the take dump. They saw that you have endorsed Raheem Morris. <laughs> are you sure it's uh, that or are they not buying Taysom Hill? <laughs> uh, I mean, it could be that, but uh, I, I've read that Taysom Hill is good. Are you telling me I'm wrong? You are wrong. Those people are wrong. You, you, I'm sure you read it. I believe it. I read the same post you read a couple a week ago where apparently he proved the doubters wrong, and then next week they didn't even treat him like an NFL quarterback. So apparently Sean Payton didn't agree. Yeah, yeah. But he's still uh, starting him. So. Is this it for the, the Taysom Hill experience? Right, uh, Breeze was supposed to be back after three weeks, but I don't know if there's been an update. Because uh, I – 
I need to know when I should start paying attention to the Saints again. So if somebody could let me know. Just I, I have no idea, but just please let it happen before the Chiefs game. <laughs> I do not want to watch Taysom Hill going up against Patrick Mahomes. That's just a waste uh, of everyone's time. Such a good point. Do you think the Chiefs will cover here? Do you think they'll? The Saints? Uh, uh, Saints, sorry, yeah. Uh, sure. I mean, they beat the Falcons easily. <laughs> Easily last time they played, like my Raheem Morris endorsement was kind of like tepid, and it wasn't based on really on his results as a defensive coordinator or defensive play caller. It's just like he's clearly has right. his team playing hard still, even though the season's over, and that's right. that's what a head right. coach has to do. Uh, speaking of head coaches, Matt Patricia is no longer one, and the Lions with Daryl Bevel uh, in charge will take on the Bears. Uh, yeah, let's let's fast forward to the playoffs. <laughs> That's my take right. about this game. Shave on anyone who fell for the Matt uh, Patricia burner account. By the way, that was so obvious. <laughs> like he's following Elon Musk. That's not even a guy that like real space nerds follow. That's a guy I, that people that don't know anything about space assume space guys follow. This, you know, there's been a lot of uh, signs of just how broken society is this year. Like we're always going to look back at 2020 and be like, man, what a what a messed up year in so many ways. But the fact that you immediately called out that the that the Matt Patricia burner was actually some other guy's fake burner that imitated a different burner that was fake for a coach. Like the layers to this going on and the fact that you saw right through it. Like that, that that you just understood that someone out there would be like, I'm going to make a funny burner account and try to trick people into thinking it's Patricia's burner. And then you saw right through that. Like, I I mean, I I'm at a loss. Man. That's just because I got the mental reps like we've seen the burner thing take place, become a thing in society. And this is like the go to default burner. Like you make the middle, the the handle, the middle name of the person. You make some reference to how many kids they have in the bio. You follow things you think they would like. It was just too plain. It was so easy to figure out. Oh my god, I, I love this. You you diagnosed it. You're you're. I'm I'm impressed, man. I, I'm very impressed. Uh, Chicago gonna cover. I, I, here. I don't care. <laughs> no. Uh, who's playing quarterback for the Bears? Is it Mike Glennon? They should it bring Mike be. Glennon back. Yeah. Mike Glennon is, is better than the two quarterbacks they have. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, Bengals, Dolphins. Uh, this yeah. was supposed to be a Tua Burrow matchup. Now it's you been upgraded know. to a Tua brand. Or, oh, I, Tua might not play, but it's been upgraded yeah. to Brandon Allen, who has a stronger arm than Joe Burrow. And I'll leave it at that. Man, oh man. Uh, Miami is an 11 and a half point favorite. Yeah, I feel like that's too big. Even if Fitzpatrick is starting, like I think Miami's a better team with Fitzpatrick starting, but they need to start Tua just to let him play. Yeah. But even if Fitzpatrick is playing, do we really trust him to cover 11 and a half points? I I don't. So I I would pick. I, I trust him to either win this game by one or 25. Right, so right. if there's some way I can bet that, uh, I'll do that. But um, Jags, Vikings, the Vikings are a 10 point favorite. I don't know that we need to discuss this game too much. There was some, there was some Kirk Cousins dialogue on the, on the interwebs today on the old Twitter, some, some discussion of Kirk Cousins. <sighs> actually good. Yeah. Ben uh, Baldwin, biggest Kirk, like for some reason, Ben Baldwin loves Kirk Cousins and drying Tannehill. And it's like, yeah, they're, they're decent quarterbacks and they're maybe even good quarterbacks, but who enjoys rooting for those two guys? <laughs> it's just like, why are you rooting for Kirk Cousins? But anyway, take out play action and Kirk Cousins is a league average quarterback in EPA. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, he's league. I, I don't want to have any Baldwin slander, though, because I love the charts. I, I need the charts. Uh, they're beautiful. They, t- they teach me so much. So uh, let's just be a pro Baldwin. Yeah. Right. No, I'm pro Baldwin. I love the yeah. site and I've told them I like the site, but I would, I tell him this stuff on the timeline all the time. So it's not like I'm talking behind his back. All right. All right. Good. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want the counter to get shady. You know what I mean? I don't want us to talk behind backs. Uh, Raiders jets. Raiders are an eight and a half point favorite. I, I don't, I'm like afraid to give a take on the Raiders because I've been, crapping on them all year and then they looked pretty good against the Chiefs that won two weeks ago even though they lost and then I'm like oh maybe the Raiders are for real and then they get blown out by the Falcons like I, I don't have a take like they're 
Who cares? <laughs> Even if they make the playoffs, they're going to lose in the first round. <laughs> there you go. Colts have something to prove against the Texans. They're a three and a half point favorite, despite being the visitor. We've gushed about Deshaun Watson. Obviously, that's going to be the Colts' uh, biggest test here is dealing with him. They had a horrific time dealing with the run because of the players they were missing against the Titans. This is a totally different matchup. What do you see happening? Yeah, the, the Texans do not have the run game to threaten the Colts defense like the Titans did. And I, are they getting DeForest Buckner back? I think that's a big key for them. If they have him back, I think this is an easy pick for the Colts, even though we've we've talked about Deshaun Watson's brilliance throughout this podcast. I think I'd go with the Colts on that one. I know the line is pretty low. I think it's like three. Yeah, three and a half. Yep. But I, I'm going to take the Colts. I'm going to take the Colts. The uh, NFC East leading Giants are visiting the Seahawks, and they are a 10-point underdog. Uh, 10 points. And I don't know if that seems like it's enough. <laughs> really? I don't know. if Well, Colt McCoy starting, so right. if Daniel Jones is playing, I wonder what this line would look like. I feel like Daniel Jones isn't the type of quarterback that's moving the line that much, though. Yeah. Like, this seems like a big line. I Obviously, the Seahawks are the better team, but the Seahawks never play normal games. Every game seems to be close. They barely – I don't think they covered against the Eagles, and the Giants are a better team than the Eagles right now. The Seahawks will definitely win this game, but I would not be surprised if it's closer than people think. The Giants' defense is pretty good, and I think they have what it takes to kind of fool Russell Wilson into a not-so-great game. I think he's still going to be good. I just don't know if it's going to be MVP Russ, the type of Russ we saw over the first two months of the season. Right. Uh, Eagles visiting the Packers. Green Bay is an eight and a half point favorite. Uh, yeah, Eagles still, you know, still in this thing in the NFC East race. Three, seven and one. So, I, don't I mean, this is the week. Maybe Wentz will fix himself. Yeah. I mean, against a Mike Patton defense, anything's possible, but I'm, I'm really not seeing it. I really think this is the week. Philly native Mike Patton. How dare you? Maybe he'll throw it for the Eagles. This is the week you play Jalen Hurts. I like not just the one or two plays that they played him on Monday. Like this is the week where I think you really commit to him because the Packers run defense is terrible. So get that quarterback on the, on the field that can run. I know Wentz can, but they're afraid to run him for some, whatever reason, put Hertz on the field, play 11 on 11 in the run game and just dominate the Packers on the ground. We've seen the 49ers do that and just not, they didn't even need to let their quarterback play quarterback. He threw it like eight times in that playoff game. So I think that's the way to win. I don't think they're going to do it, so I'm going to take the Packers in this game because Aaron Rodgers is a just the best player on that field. Uh, this game is interesting, actually. Patriots-Chargers. I sort of wish that I would have bumped this up earlier in the show just because I want to know after this all ends what you think about Justin Herbert against Bill Belichick. Belichick does not have nearly the tools that he generally has on defense to sort of scheme up and adjust. Uh, like we've seen that the Patriots defense is, is it still worse? The worst in DVOA on defense? Uh, it was, they were, they had a good there. game okay. against the, the Cardinal. So maybe they, I'm checking right now, but I don't think it really matters. No, they're 31st in DVOA now. Okay. All right. Yeah, so I'm just interested to see what what Belichick does with Herbert. You know, what what we learn about how he sort of goes about trying well, to stop Herbert. Well, here's the thing: is I don't know if there's really a lot you can do. He's just a good quarterback, and you just have to hope that he doesn't play well. It's like playing against. I'm not going to say Patrick Mahomes, but like what? Do you, I don't know how to phrase this. Like when a quarterback is capable of going from his first read to his second read to his third read, and he can make all the throws, it's really hard to take things away from him there. I don't really think there's one thing the chargers do exceptionally that bill Belichick can hone in on and take away and make them play left-handed. I think they have right. a well-rounded offense. The problem is Anthony Lynn is still the coach and right. making horrible decisions and is I think their approach on offense is outdated and they run too much. They don't put the ball in Herbert's hands enough. I think that's what, you know, levels the playing field. And I'm going to give the edge to Belichick just because he's the better coach and he's not going to make the mistakes that we know Lynn will probably make if given the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I certainly agree with you sort of in general uh, that, that, yeah, that's, Herbert, that's why we're so high on him is because he is that sort of guy that it's tough to take things away from 
on the on the other hand, I feel like we have so many times thought that going to a game and Belichick has found the thing to take <laughs> right. away. And we are left doing the WeeBay, uh, the WeeBay, you know, wire gif like, oh, right. Yeah. And and I'm uh, a little worried that we're going to be there. Yeah, I think I think the thing is probably blitzing him and just doing the type of things the Dolphins did to them and the type of things the Patriots were doing a lot to a lot of quarterbacks last year. And they haven't really been doing it this year because the secondary one hasn't been as good. And Stefan Gilmore was out. So it hasn't been as healthy maybe with Gilmore coming back and he's played a couple games now, maybe they can go back to it. But that's really the only thing that I could see Belichick throwing at them that gives them problems. Uh, Broncos chiefs is the Sunday night game. And this is despite the Broncos being four and seven and, and appearing to be a, a passable team every now and then and having a good defensive coach in Vic Fangio. This is the largest line of the week. Uh, Kansas City is, is favored by 14, uh, which, yeah, that's that's the NFL as we see it for sure this year, right? I mean, the, the Chiefs, I think you said it earlier when we were talking, they, it just looks like they're playing a different game. Yeah, uh, Drew Locke's coming back. I don't think that matters. Obviously, he's <laughs> an upgrade over Kendall Hinton, but yeah, I don't think he's an upgrade over all the other quarterbacks that have played. I, it's yeah, fourteen points. It seems a little low to be honest. I, I would take that up to like seventeen. Oh man, just got some breaking news. Josh Gordon has been reinstated by the NFL. That's that's a game changer for the Seahawks. Oh, I got to change my my Seahawks pick. I'm going with the Seahawks now. They'll cover ten. No, I do you think he'll just step right in and play? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't know. Josh Gordon's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'm just reading this news. That's good. Josh Gordon's fun to watch. Uh, as I said, there's three games. Uh, there's two games Monday and a game Tuesday, as long as everything holds. So we will talk about those in our next show. Uh, as I said earlier, we are uh, we'll probably have one more show where it's just Stephen and I, and then we are going to bring in Charles McDonald uh, at Four Verts on Twitter. Follow him if you don't. He's an amazing follow. Uh, just a, a super smart and interesting thinker about the game of football. We could not be more excited to be adding him. So that is heading your way. Follow Steven on Twitter, too. He mostly just tries to get Bills fans to fight him. That's at the Steven Ruiz, unless you're a Bills fan. Uh, try to just stay away. I'm at Chris Corman. Steven, closing thoughts for the week. Oh, you kind of caught me off guard. Uh, I don't have any bad Drew Lock stats or anything. Uh, I caught you off guard. I do this every single week. I know, and I'm never ready for it. Uh, uh, Drew Lock stinks. <laughs> Drew Lock stinks, and so does Blake Bortles. Uh, that's a, that's, that's a throwback. Well, isn't Blake Bortles like the like the super secret? Like, aren't they like sequestering him somewhere in case Drew Locke gets sick again or something? There's some scheme that the Broncos have that involves Blake Bortles. Well, so. the Broncos should learn a lesson from Jacksonville and and realize that any scheme involving Blake Bortles is not a good one. <laughs> I don't know. You you remember last week, right? They had they had to play a undrafted wide receivers. <laughs> you look like a more natural thrower of the football than than Blake Bortles uh, was. Oh man. This has been the counter. As always, we appreciate you listening. Thanks. Take care. Talk to you next time. The counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring for the wind Steven Ruiz and Chris Corman. 